Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I am your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. Welcome. I am thrilled to have you here this week. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. Um, If you are a a new listener, thank you for joining us. Thank you for lending me your ear on this uh, fine morning, afternoon, evening, night, whenever you happen to be listening to this, if you happen to be listening to it um, on the day that it is released. It is a really fantastic day, and I hope you're getting outside for this because it is just beautiful and just the temperature is just perfect. Um, so there is really no better time because of the beautiful weather that's outside than to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and that is economics. More specifically, <laughs> more specifically, every libertarian loves to talk about e- e- uh, economics. But more specifically, I want to talk about tariffs. Um, we have talked a little bit about tariffs. I've gone over them in passing a little bit in a few different episodes um, as they have come up and as they have really um, had, had the chance to, to really rise up and, and become a big issue as really everyone should assume that they would have been um, because this show began right around the time of the 2016 election and now that we are over really almost almost two years into Trump's presidency, it's really no shock that this has become a reoccurring issue because this is really honestly one of his worst uh, issues that he is on. He had a really, really great year at the end of last year. I mean, really, really good. Um, he, he started the year, you know, nominating Judge Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. And I was really beginning to feel like, you know, if he, if he, if he keeps on this pace, if he keeps on this track, then he actually might not be a terrible president. Yes, he will have terrible qualities, certainly, but comparatively, at least within the past, you know, five or six presidents, he definitely would not be at the bottom of the barrel. Well, as soon as 2018 hit, uh, that pretty much went out the window uh, as as being one of the top, and he's he's still sort of like, He's sort of competing for, you know, I feel like a lot of them at the bottom within the past like five or six, especially the past two, uh, are just kind of there. They're just kind of all at the bottom. No no real ranking or placement, but they're all just kind of chilling out in the same room, Um, you know, just just sharing drinks and and talking about ways to increase the size and scope of government. Um, And Trump is certainly competing his way down there. Uh, because he he said he would do a lot of draining the swamp, and really the swamp has been draining him. Really, uh, uh, on on tariffs and on uh, trade specifically, uh, this has been one of his absolute worst issues. Protectionism is uh, an absolute fallacy. It does not protect anyone. Free trade, or excuse me, fair trade, I should say, uh, is an absolute fallacy. It's it's as much uh, it has much to do with fairness as does um, the redistribution of wealth and getting people to pay their fair share. There's nothing fair about it. That is what I want to talk about because we really haven't devoted a whole episode to it, and there are many, many economic factors 
um, and historical ones, and really just logical ones that that come into play whenever uh, talking about uh, whenever talking about tariffs. And this is something that trips up not just people like the Bernie Sanders types, because uh, you know Bernie Sanders obviously is a very big e- economic protectionist. He believes in the government involvement, and he believes in government intervention in the marketplace. Um, and this is an area where it makes sense where Bernie would want to protect American jobs, quote, protect American jobs, through government intervention in the marketplace by means of tariffs and by means of fair trade. Well, it turns out, and I'm sure you know this, the right isn't that great on this issue either. While with the left, it's it's wrapped around it's wrapped around the the wrapping paper. You, if you notice things, it, when you become a libertarian, if you're not a libertarian, when when you do become, because I believe you will, I, I have faith in you. Okay, I I believe in your ability to go full libertarian. If anyone else does not. Just take it from me that I do, okay? When you become full libertarian, there's something that you notice really quickly. Both the right and the left are virtually the same thing. They just wrap their uh, their big government policies in different wrapping paper. With the left, they wrap it in economic justice and economic uh, uh, intervention and protectionism because, because it is unfair for the working class and the laborers and this is where unions come into play you know unions obviously are very big um very big advocates for economic protection in global trade uh the for the left it's it's all about economic justice but for the right it's much more wrapped around the ideas of hard work and american labor and patriotism um, and and really economic nationalism. That's that's what it comes down to for the right. It's economic nationalism. Both are wildly, wildly dangerous. And as you'll see here in a little bit toward the end of the episode, both have a really, really nasty uh, history in America specifically. This is an issue that has plagued our nation from the very beginning. One that is is surprisingly one that has never gone away. It, it, tariffs are always, uh, has always been plaguing our nation from the very beginning. Um, but I want to sort of get into, I want to sort of get into uh, many different aspects of this, not just the, the economics of it, um, and not just the, 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 the theory, the economic theory and the f- philosophical theory, but also uh, the common sense stuff and, 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 some of the, uh, and some of the history behind it. Economic protectionism is what this is about. There is nothing that is fair about this. The term fair trade is a fallacy. All this does is do nothing but, pro- but promote uh, cronyism, it does nothing but but advance unfair policies, and it hurts the very people. This is what's really the most important uh, part about this. It hurts the very people that it claims to be protecting. That is a really important thing that you need to take away from this. But first, I want to go through a few steps. First, I want to touch on 
What is something that will be very familiar for longtime listeners of this show or for any libertarian listening to this, um, regardless of how long you've listened? What is the proper role and the proper function of government? This is incredibly important, probably here more than ever, um, because this really defines what it is that government's job is supposed to be. For fair trade advocates, those who are advocating for fair trade, their claims are nothing more but economic interventionism. There is no such thing as fairness in the economy. None. What, what baffles me is that, is that people on the right seem to understand this when it comes to domestic economic affairs. When they talk about the free market, when they talk about taxes, uh, taxation, when they talk about, um, when they talk about you know, competition and all these kind of things, they get it. They, I, I truly do believe that most people, um, and it's really tragic, this makes it even more tragic, most people who believe in... Um, and fair trade tend to typically believe in a free market when it comes to domestic uh, economic policy. The second that they cross a border, though, not state borders, which is very ironic, because for some reason, state borders are just an, an invisible line to them. But national borders, oh, that's where that's where things really need to be solid and you need to build a wall between countries. You see, fair trade implies that the US government owns. This is this is what it implies. The US government owns and thus must protect the US economy. That is a very dangerous notion. There is no, I, I want to make this very clear, there is no such thing as an American business or a Chinese business. That term, anytime you, you place the label of a country in front of the word business or American businesses, it doesn't exist. There is no such thing as an American business, a Chinese business, a Canadian business, uh, a European business. None of that is true. There is only business. The free market, as it is in its natural state, knows no borders. They only face borders when government gets in the way. Two people trading with one another. If I wanted to trade with someone in uh in pakistan because i thought his product looked cool and they looked cheap and you know i it was affordable and i needed or i just wanted what he had then there is no that's a pakistani business it's just a business the place that it is based out of has nothing to do with the the ownership of the uh, products that are that are coming out of, of that country. That is implying that private property rights are not really private property rights. They are public property rights. They are government property rights. Because while yes, it's true that you know Americans can can grow their business and exchange with with people within their own country, the second that that business steps outside of the national borders, then all of a sudden, people from the top of the government to to people who are just lowly workers at the bottom, 
all seem to think, oh, this is an American business. And then we all put on our, our, our nationalistic tribal hats and say, this is something that we must protect. No, I am sorry. That is not the function of the United States government, of any government. Government's role is to do one thing and one thing only. That is to protect your natural rights. If you really want to get into it, how it does that is to protect property rights and to enforce contracts so that people can live peacefully and freely to protect liberty. That's it. That is government in a nutshell. That is what it is supposed to do. That is its only job. Its job is not to boost the American economy because there's no such thing as the American economy. The American economy is just the market economy that just so happens to be based in the United States. The, the United States section of the global economy. Because there is no boundary between what I want to sell someone, whether or not I'm in Ohio and I want to sell someone in Texas, the government has no right to limit my ability to purchase that. And, and this is something that comes up in, in healthcare debates. This is something that conservatives understand for the most part in healthcare debates when talking about buying uh, health insurance across state lines. They get that. Borders should not matter whenever it comes to what it is you are doing with the market. But for some reason, they lose all mental functions when it comes to free and fair trade. Free trade is the only free market position. That's it. It's also important to understand, moving on to port, uh, point number two, besides what is the proper role of government, because government has no authority in the marketplace whatsoever. It doesn't matter if it tries to. It doesn't matter if that's the standard. It doesn't matter if that's what's always happened. It has no actual authority in the marketplace when you understand that its only job is to protect property rights and enforce contracts so that people can live peaceful and free lives and interact with each other however they choose. It's not also, it's, it's, it's important to understand that there are more economic factors to take into account than just the American worker. This is the right bailout, other than, you know, the actual bailouts that occurred in 2008, because they... A lot of people on the right seem to want to sweep that under the rug and be like, oh, that was that was Obama. That was the left. No, it was actually Republicans uh, if by by and large in, in 2008. A, a lot of Republicans had a lot to do with the bailout, including George W. Bush. But here's the thing. Whenever the government, especially whenever, for example, whenever Trump, because this is this is what what inspired me to do this episode is is seeing all the proposed tariffs and the proposed ideas that he wants to do by slapping a tariff on Canada or slapping a tariff on um, on China over steel and imports like that. Uh, there, his claim is that he wants to protect the American steel worker, the American auto worker, uh, the the real laborers that built this country. And that may have been true. They may have built this country, but here's the thing. You are, one, bowing to special interest. The very people who say that I'm not bought, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna cave to any sort of special interest. This is what you're doing. Special interest has a hold of you because they are the only ones, these specific industries that you are helping protect are the only ones that are getting a bailout. That is all free trade, or excuse me, that is all protectionism and, and fair trade amounts to, is that this is another form of government intervention in the marketplace helping pick the winners and the losers instead of letting the market naturally sort out who is winning and who is losing at the cost of the very people you want to help. The only people who actually win and, and these uh, specific scenarios are the very, very, very specific companies that benefit from having the government intervene in the marketplace. So whether that be a certain steel company or a certain auto company and they you know, have these these big, you know, newspaper articles about how they've saved so many jobs because of Trump's tariffs. Those are the only people who are actually benefiting from this. And you may say, oh, well, hey, look, you know, at least people have jobs. Yeah, some do, some don't, because you're helping putting other competitors out of business. You're helping put... The, it, it drives me insane that some people honestly think that just because one company shuts down in a natural open marketplace, and that means that those people who had those jobs will never, ever have a job again, and those people who, uh, who, who own the company, somehow our economy will, will suffer because that, that company is gone. In a natural economy, just plain destruction where companies just fall doesn't happen. What does happen is called creative destruction, where yes, many companies do fall and they, they close down, they, they shut their doors, they're never to be seen of again. But other people step up. This is what, um, this is what Friedrich Bastiat called what is seen and what is unseen. What is seen in when, when talking about economic protectionism, when talking about tariffs and free and fair trade, what is seen is that a steel company or an auto company, they might shut down because that tariff wasn't in place. What is unseen is that competitors step up, somebody who knows how to do something quicker, faster, better, cheaper, steps up and fills that void. Nature abhors a vacuum, so there is no void in a marketplace that cannot be filled. For some reason, nobody seems to understand that. For some reason, everyone thinks that what's gone is gone. And while something that once was may be gone forever, that doesn't mean that nothing will ever be there again. What's unseen is that automation happens where capitalism really shows what it's really good at and instead of having a bunch of, uh, of, of workers getting low wages for jobs that they don't even like then machines take take that place the way that electricity <laughs> took the place of the candle lighters and the way that uh, the ATMs started taking place of bank tellers nobody wants to go back to the days where we had gas lit candles and there was just for just to protect the job of the guy who lit the lit, lit the actual candles nobody wants to go back to that why because that is progress because that guy who lit the candle can now get another job elsewhere that has better wages and 
provides him with better skills. And to top it all off, what is on scene is that prices drop, products become cheaper. The same can be said about the inverse of this whenever a tariff is slapped onto something like steel, something massive like steel or aluminum, um, and, uh, and, and auto imports and things like that. Not just specific to an industry, but specific to virtually all industries. What happens there is that, yeah, you might save a steel company. That's, that's what is seen, is that like a steel company might be saved. Jobs in that company are saved. What is unseen is that prices rise. The status quo is kept. Their competitors are shut down, and their competitors are slapped down. Competitors that you might not ever have heard of because that all they needed is a free market to thrive in and grow in, but they couldn't even get big enough because of the economic interventionism. So they got slapped down when they were only two or three people uh, in in their in their payload, and somehow that's more that that is more worthy of praise and of merit when they very easily could have uh, provided many thousands of jobs, hundreds of thousands of jobs, better products, cheaper products, better jobs, not just not just more jobs or equal amount of jobs, but better jobs. But we would never know that. Because that's what was unseen, and that is the price that was paid to protect your single special interest steel meal. America cannot make everything. This is really important. This is probably, other than the, the fact that prices will increase, this, this is why prices will increase. Uh, and, and you're hurting the very people you're claiming to help. You are hurting the American consumer by protecting a specific company or a specific interest when doing so because their prices are rising not everything has to be made in america everyone complains for some reason about not having anything made in america why why is that something that you need to why is that something that you need to complain about the prices are going up the quality is decent and it is it is it is just as good it might you might have a, a a lot better quality in an american product for a lot more money but for what you're paying for the the quality of of the actual products that you are purchasing are decent and they are better suited at doing that than we are and it frees up american labor to be able to do things that americans are uniquely good at for example, take avocados. <laughs> this is a very specific example, but uh, this is relevant because because Trump is, has mentioned interest in, in placing tariffs on Mexico. Take avocados, for example. And that's something very specific, but it applies uh, in the macro sense just as well. Avocados in Mexico are grown year-round and thus can be, can, be, uh, can be brought cheaper if you just import it into Mexico, you can buy avocados cheaper from Mexico than you can from America because their supply is abundant, their labor is cheap, and there is virtually never a time when avocados are not growing in Mexico. Compare that to America, 
it's very spotty and certainly not in mass the way that it is in Mexico because of the climate. There are certain climates, certain resources, uh, certain certain abilities that are just better in other countries that other countries have that America does not. That is why free trade is so important. There is this notion that um, that fair trade is important because if America is the only one doing fair trade and if China is slapping imports on us then, and if Canada is slapping imports on us and if Mexico, or excuse me, not imports, uh, tariffs on our imports, uh, and if Mexico is slapping uh, tariffs on us, on our imports, then how is that really free trade? How is, how is that... How is that fair and how is that free? It's not our responsibility to try to force countries to benefit themselves. Because we aren't the ones hurting from them slapping an import, or <laughs> keep saying imports, from them slapping a tariff on our imports. The only people that that is hurting is their own consumers. That's it. Their own economy. That's it. American uh, products are not harmed in the grand scheme of things by a little tariff from, from uh, Mexico or from China. Now, if you engage in trade wars, yeah, that can, get, that can certainly get dicey. You should always strive for, for more free trade, but you should always strive through, for that through diplomacy, not by saying, oh, they have a tariff on us, let's slap one on them. Because that's basically the equivalent of saying, oh, they, they violate human rights? Well, we should do it too. Because you're only harming yourself. If America does something just because other countries do it, then we are only harming ourselves. You know, Leonard Reed, the, uh, the founder of the Foundation of Economic Education, um, wrote I Pencil. And it is this really small but really powerful and really impactful book. But it's really a booklet. It's not even a book um, that just perfectly encompasses everything that goes into um, the simplest of items, the simplest of products, such as a pencil, um, and how they are only possible through the likes of free and open trade. I want to read a passage so that you can really understand really understand what sort of importance and what sort of impact that goes into free trade in a global economy. Actually, millions of human beings have had a hand in my creation. My is in uh, this is the pencil speaking. No one of whom ever knows more than a very few of the others. Now, you may say that I go too far in relating the picker of a coffee bean in far-off Brazil and food growers elsewhere to my creation, that this is an extreme position. I shall stand by my claim. There isn't a single person in all these millions, including the president of the pencil company, who contributes more than a tiny, small fraction of know-how. From the standpoint of know-how, the only difference between the miner of graphite in Ceylon and the logger in Oregon 
is in the type of know-how. Neither the miner nor the logger can be dispensed with any more than can the chemist at the factory or the worker in the oil field. Here is an astounding fact. Neither the worker in the oil field, nor the chemist, nor the dicker of graphite or clay, nor any who mans or makes the ships or trains or trucks, nor the president of the company performs his singular task because he wants me. Each one wants me less, perhaps, than does a child in the first grade. Indeed, there are some among this vast multitude who never saw a pencil, nor would they know how to use one. Their motivation is other than me. Perhaps it is something like this. Each of these millions sees that he can thus exchange his tiny know-how for the goods and services he needs or wants. I may or not be among these items. Essentially what that says is that we all play to our own interests. We all have our own interests. But all of this is possible because we trade with one another. There are so many different factors that go into the simple creation of a pencil. If all these different factors, these very selfish factors, it was Adam Smith's birthday just a few days ago. He, he, he basically summed it up like this. It's not the benevolence of the butcher that puts food on the table, but out of his own self-interest. Because he wants to put food on his table, he has a quality, he has a, a service that he can provide that can benefit the people in his community, but more importantly, that can benefit himself. If we limit that whatsoever, we are only shooting ourselves in the foot. There's also a notion that, that, uh, that trade, free trade is good and it's all good and dandy. But whenever we have massive trade deficits, then we're only hurting ourselves. Now, this is something that I can't really fathom how, uh, how some conservatives that can be this economically illiterate. Um, I, can, I can get how some Democrats are, but, but some people who stand on free markets are the ones who are claiming this. That, that deficits, trade deficits are the ones who uh, are, are it's, it's what really matters. And once trade deficits are eliminated and we, we have a fair level playing field, then that way we can have free trade. The simple fact of the matter is, is that level fields or uh, playing fields are never, ever level. You will never have an equal playing field. You're always competing for somebody who is doing better than you are. That's fine. That's the way the market works. The problem here is that it really baffles me. Many of these uh, fiscal conservatives get very tripped up on this point because they don't really understand economics and they don't really understand what the term trade deficit is. They hear deficit. They think, oh, that's not fiscally responsible. Oh, that, that means that we're losing money. What that actually means, it's not the same as a, as a, as a government deficit when you're talking about you know, supply, uh, sur surplus and, and deficits. A deficit means that, you know, you are spending more money than what you're taking in, certainly in a government sense, um, when you're talking about the national budget, and you have a deficit in it, that means that you've spent too much. You've, you've overspent what it is that, that you have uh, in, in reserve, the, the, the amount that you have taken in, 
is is less than the amount that you have spent. Well, in a trade deficit, that's not necessarily what that means. It is to an extent, but not in the same way. Um, that means that you're in debt, you know, is, is what people think. With the trade deficit, this is basically what it is. When you go in a, in a very micro setting, when you go to a grocery store and you spend $150, $200 on groceries, you have a trade deficit with that grocery store. Now, are you being screwed because the grocery store has a trade surplus with you? No, of course not. This is a voluntary exchange. They had something that you need, and you got a trade deficit out of it. But that's fine. It doesn't matter. Trade deficits do not matter. All that means is that you are getting from someone else more than what you are making yourself essentially, more than what you are exporting, more than what you are selling to people. That's all that means. It doesn't mean that you um, are low on money. It doesn't mean that you're not bringing money in. All it means is that you are importing more than you are exporting. And that's fine. That is completely fine. It doesn't mean that you're getting screwed on trade, it means that their products are either better or cheaper, and you want more of it. And that's it. That is completely fine. Trade deficits, never let anyone tell you that a trade deficit matters, or that trade deficits have to be eliminated, and they are a pressing issue for our country. It's not. Trade deficits are always used to justify tariffs, and it is never, ever, ever than a reasonable justification. Now, tariffs actually have a very, uh, very bad and destructive history in in the history of of our economy here in the United States. Uh, America has always struggled with tariffs ever since the beginning of our country. As I said in the beginning of the show, we've always struggled with tariffs. Bastiat, in fact, when he was writing the law. This is one thing that he pointed to America and said that America was this beacon, this bastion of hope and liberty and free enterprise, but he said there was a caveat. They struggle on two massive fronts. One was slavery. We fixed that, fortunately. (laughs) Two was that we have a big problem with tariffs. We always want to slap a tariff on something. We were good on taxes. We were relatively good on the debt, certainly in, in that time frame. Um, but tariffs and slavery were the two biggest factors that if America did not fix, it would be the needle that or the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back for America. Well, that actually proved to be somewhat true. Now, it didn't completely destroy America, but. Um, you know, throughout throughout the the debates leading up to the creation of the income tax, many people wanted to just raise tariffs really high, especially Republicans. This is um, something that uh, that Teddy Roosevelt was very fond of was that tariffs and and income taxes should be should be raised so that we can uh, both soak the rich and 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 protect the American workers. Um, but most people in that time frame wanted one or the other. Uh, but it really got bad whenever 
um, after the income tax was passed, after it was a constitutional amendment, and then we hit 1929. What happened then? The market crashed. That was, that was Black Friday. That was leading up to the Great Depression. But here's the thing. Most people, and I, I'm not going to go into this too much because there's a whole, I want to do an entire episode on this, but most people don't know that the Great Depression really did not happen because of the market crash. It happened because of how the government reacted to the market crash. And one of the ways, and this is in Hoover's administration, the guy that we're supposed to believe is this laissez-faire, hands-off president, people blamed him because he didn't do enough. That's not true. In fact, that's probably one of the biggest lies in American history is that Herbert Hoover was a laissez-faire president. They're probably going to say the same thing in 70 years about President Bush, that he was a laissez-faire president, and that's why the 2008 crash happened. That is not true. What happened was that Herbert Hoover essentially removed any sort of free market ideas. He really butted head when he was in the Calvin Coolidge administration with Calvin Coolidge, um, but he removed any free market ideas um, that he had and went for higher taxes on the rich and higher tariffs. In fact, it was during his administration that one of the biggest tariffs in American history had passed. This was the Smoot-Hawley tariff uh, that brought turmoil unfathomable and helped establish the soon-to-be uh, soon depression to be truly a great depression. Essentially, this tariff, um, uh, the, it, it raised tariffs in, in 1930 on over 20,000 products in order to protect and in, in, in order to help really uh, revitalize the American workers and the American industry. And, and essentially, all this did was, was put more strain on the American workers and put more strain on American industries because now instead of having Americans do things that we are uniquely qualified and uniquely able to do, now we had to squalor and, and sort of scram all over the place to try to find people who can do things that we always just imported because we weren't going to waste our time. That doesn't make sense to waste your time on something that somebody else in uh, Indonesia can do better and cheaper than you can when there are better things that you are more qualified to do. That's essentially what happened. It strained the American working class instead of, uh, instead of propping it up, and it prolonged and deepened the Great Depression and really opened up the way for Franklin Roosevelt to really leave his mark. I desperately hope that President Trump doesn't do anything like that. But the problem is, is that I can also see him doing something like that too. I can also see him trying to, to really pass for something so massive that it would virtually destroy the American economy the way that it did in 1930. Because if there were any issue that he is as bad as can be on, it is this one. Fair trade is nothing about, about equality or fairness. It's really an oxymoron. And I hope that 
cooler heads prevail when it comes to this in the Trump administration. I'm not optimistic about it. But if nothing else, you can learn for yourself and apply your free market principles as a libertarian for yourself to this subject and really push it out and really communicate to people the dangers of, quote, fair trade. That is my episode for today. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you uh, learned a bit. I hope you uh, got a little bit out of it. Um, next week, I'm actually going to do a couple episodes next week because I'm trying to get caught up from the weeks that we missed. And um, and so over, over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to have more than one episode a week. On the 4th of July, we're going to have one that's on a Wednesday. Um, we will have a special episode on the 4th of July and then also our regular scheduled episode for that Thursday on the 5th as well. Um, and then next week we'll have one. What it looks like is going to happen is that I have um, uh, Larry Sharp, who is a who is a governor candidate. I'm, I'm in the talks with when we can record for that. So hopefully that will be the next episode, which will probably come out around Monday or Tuesday, but it just depends on when I can get that scheduled and recorded. And then we will have uh, uh, our regularly scheduled episode on Thursday as well. Um, I thank you for tuning in. I thank you for listening. I really appreciate your listenership. I really appreciate your audience. It, it really means a lot to me. We have something very very big in the works and i am very very excited to bring it to you it will still be a couple months before i'm able to um but it is something that is going to be very massive very impactful and very true to what i initially started this program as 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 a means to bring together a community of liberty lovers. That's exactly what we are doing. That is what we are continuing to do. And that is what will proceed to happen in the near future. So thank you once again for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Caleb Franz. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Mill Liberty. And uh, be sure to also subscribe to us on iTunes so that you will never miss an episode nor an update. Um, and also be sure to give us a rating, a review, share it with your friends, with your family, uh, especially the ones who might uh, disagree with you because as, as a libertarian, um, I don't think that anybody really agrees with you in your in your family settings. It's, or it's, it's very it's a very small setting unless you're like unless you're in Rand Paul's family and everyone's a libertarian. Um, but we can't all be that lucky, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but nonetheless, please share this episode. Please share this program, this podcast with your friends and family. And, uh, and, and until next week, we'll see you.